Up next on Inside the SCCA, the international man of stewarding. Welcome to Inside the SCCA. I'm Brian Polanski. And like last week, I've got another episode that is uh, one of the keynotes from this year's 2023 SCCA National Convention. This keynote entitled International Man of Stewarding. I was joined by Eric Prill and Dennis Dean. Dennis, 44 years as a race official and scrutineer. Uh, race official, scrutineer, and steward with the SCCA. 20 years as a SCCA steward. Eight years as an FIA international steward. Uh, also chairman of the stewards with the FIA. He's also been a Formula One deputy chairman of the stewards. He was that for two events in 2021. So tons of experience internationally and nationally. And he joined us for a very interesting discussion about how the SECA and the FIA do things similar and differently and how we can all kind of learn from each other to make racing safer and to officiate more fairly. And it was a great conversation with a lot of interaction from the members who are in the chat watching the session. So uh, we're going to get to that right now. This is Dennis Dean, Eric Pearl, and myself, the International Man of Stewarding. This is the 2023 SCCA National Convention Engage is the topic. I'm Brian Belansky, the host of the Inside the SCCA podcast and one of the voices of your new SCCA Super Tour live stream. Hope you all caught that at Sebring and we'll have that all year long. So appreciate being involved with that. Today I'm excited though because I I think we need to get you a double O designation, Dennis, because we're calling you the International Man of Stewarding. I picture you, you know, as Roger Moore in, you know, a Bond movie. Dennis Dean, welcome. You you will not believe, Brian, that when I checked into my hotel at Monza last year for the for the race there as the Formula Two chairman, my room number, no kidding, was 007. <laughs> nice. Could could not be better. Also with us, Eric Prill, Vice President, Road Racing, SCCA. Hello, Eric. Hello. Good evening. I, I don't even know that I need to introduce you because it, it sounds like you've been in every session in some form or fashion. I have been in I have been in a session since uh, four o'clock central time. OK, one session to the next. So not 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 all day, but uh, through the afternoon and evening hours. Much of the day, much of the day. So uh, international man of stewarding is the topic. Um, I, I, I don't know how many folks know, Dennis your um stature in the international stewarding world um but but you are uh, involved in a ton of stuff with the FIA we're going to get to all of that um but it all started here in the SCCA right sure did uh 1979 San Francisco region fresh caught scrutineer started at driver school and it's just hasn't stopped <laughs> 44 years as a race official, as a scrutineer and or a steward, 20 years as an SCCA steward, eight years as an FAIA international steward doing F1, F2, F3, Formula E, World Endurance Championship, GT, five years 
it's just it's a great resume. Do I have to fact check it? No, I I I, I hope not. <laughs> I, I'm not running for Congress, so I think it's accurate. <laughs> well, even if it wasn't, you could run for Congress on Long Island, and it would be fine. So, um, anyway. Eric, uh, you, you're here as one of the the folks who make it all happen for road racing on the SCCA, in the SCCA, and uh, you are at a racetrack lots of weekends uh, doing it here, interacting with all of our SCCA stewards at a regular basis. Um, uh, when you decided to help us out with this, what were your thoughts on the international man of stewarding concept here? <laughs> Well, I, I think that Dennis has a, obviously a really interesting resume and the fact that he continues to work local events at some point, that he continues to work events like the runoffs. Um, I believe he's going to be our, um, you were operated last year um, and he's doing all these FIA events. And I think that, you know, as we go through and we talk about things like rules interpretations and, and contact and, and a lot of the, you know, really the green to checker stuff got me thinking about, um, you know, some of the examples that we see out internationally and in, in professional motorsports and what better guy to, to kind of speak to both sides and, and all levels of it than somebody who's involved at all levels of it and with Dennis and, and him being part of the stewards group for a lot of these, big time events that we all watch on television that are happening overseas. And um, I mean, he is, he is a world traveler and uh, the, yeah, the international uh, man of stewarding was, was a little tongue in cheek, but I, I kind of like it. I, I, I think he fits, I think he fits that title well as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I think a lot of what we want to talk about is kind of how stewarding is similar and different between the FIA and the SCCA. Uh, but before we get to that, Dennis, uh, you know, one of the things that, that racers love to do maybe almost as much as racing is, is telling stories. Um, and I'm sure you have a ton of them to share. Um, we, we talked about some of them on our podcast when we got together last year and, uh, I definitely need to do that again. Cause there's a lot more stories I'm sure in there, but, uh, can you share with us some of something from the last maybe couple of years, maybe a thing in Abu Dhabi? Um, what, what can you share with us today? Well, let, <laughs> let's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll duck for the moment. Some of the most visible <laughs> ones, but I, let me, let me share with you my, my stewarding nightmare and, and oh boy. probably the, 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 the busiest night or afternoon at night I, I had as a steward. Uh, I was chairman of the stewards for F3 in Italy at Monza in 2019. And uh, it was a, a late qualifying session on Saturday, Finished uh, was scheduled to finish of about 5.30 if memory serves. And Monza is a unique track because cars are trying to get paired up to get a tow through Parabolica and onto the main straight. And so there's a lot of track positioning and gamesmanship. And even the F1 guys have big problems with it. And the F3 guys certainly have not learned their craft to that same extent. 
And we really, uh, there are 30 cars on track for, for F3. And it really started to go pear-shaped at the end with some uh, dangerous driving and near collisions. And about five minutes left in the session, the race director threw the red flag and said, that's it. I've, I've had enough. <laughs> Brought them all into the pits and then walked over to the steward's room and said, I'd like you to take a look at this and see what you could do. And I said, yeah, okay, we can do that. You understand this is going to take a while. <laughs> and he said, yeah. Uh, so we started sorting through what we saw on track. And we ended up identifying out of the 30 drivers on track, 22 of them were involved in at least one incident in the last five minutes of the session. Wow. And so we started summoning people. And in an FIA hearing, you summon the driver involved and the team manager from each side. If there's multiple, if there's more than two, you have as many drivers as you need and as many team managers as you need. And you, you sort it all out, get everybody a chance to see what they uh, have to say about it, and then, and then come to a decision which then has to be formally written, published, and, and transmitted. And so I started that process probably at 6.30 or 7 o'clock. We did our last hearing at uh, 11.45 that night. I sent the last driver and team manager home. And then we started writing decisions. And then we started working on with timing because we had we had a race first thing in the morning. We had to figure out what the starting grid was. Right. And I'm sitting here on my other computer. I'm looking at the screen. Because, uh, it's my nightmare spread, spreadsheet. It's the spreadsheet that the chief of timing and I used uh, that night to construct a grid. And we started out with two grid penalties that had already come over from the previous race in Belgium. And so we started out with those. And then of the 22 drivers involved in incidents, we penalized 16 drivers and we handed out 24 different penalties to those 16 drivers. Wow. So we had 26 penalties, all of them grid drops. And when we got done, the guy who ended up on the pole for the race actually took three, a three grid drop penalty and still started on the pole. <laughs> Everybody around him had more grid drops than, than, than he did. That's good stuff. Uh, and so we finally, I think we got out of there. We signed and published and transmitted the grid about 1.15 in the morning, I think. And then we you know, toddled off to our hotel to get ready to turn around and come back. Well, and the saddest part about that at Monza, you missed a good meal and a good bottle of wine by having to be there that late. That's the important part about Monza. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. You get to, you get to, at that time of night, you uh, you get whatever you can find. For those of so, you, I'll go ahead. I mean, you you never know when you walk in the steward's room. I, I walked into races where I figured it was going to be a nightmare, and I never heard a word out of race control the entire time. I've had other times where oh, you know nothing is going to happen, and it it rapidly goes pear shaped. Um, and so that's one of the challenges. You, you deal with whatever comes over the transom from race control and the race director. And um, 
you're watching everything ourselves and stewards and the FIA can can start their own investigations. It doesn't necessarily have to come from the race director, although most of them do. Um, and so at the end of the day, you're just trying to make sure that everybody's working on a level playing field and that uh, you're holding everybody the same standard. And if people breach the rules in some way that you're penalizing them the same way you did the last guy that committed the same offense so that you've got consistency uh, from from race to race and, and venue to venue. And it's that's exactly what you do, whether you're in the FIA in a Formula One stewards room or whether you're sitting at Summit Point for a regional, right? Absolutely no difference. The fundamental concepts of trying to have a level playing field, listening to everybody fairly, uh, and giving everybody their chance to be heard is exactly the same whether you're talking to a regional driver fresh out of driver school at his first race or whether you're talking to a five-time world champion in, in the stewards room at Silverstone. It's the, 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 the processes are different, but the fundamental principles are, are the same. Uh, I think it's worth noting at this point, some will understand it, some won't, um, that FIA stewarding fundamentally is a little different than stewarding in the SCCA as we think of it, because when you talk about an FIA steward, uh, we handle only the judicial function that an SCCA steward does, the stewards of the meeting, that function. Race directors, clerks of the course, the operational guys in race control in the FIA world are all licensed and managed separately. Um, and it, it, I don't necessarily expect a casual observer to know that, but it gets frustrating that even experienced Formula One journalists at time will blame the race director for something that's the steward's fault or the stewards for something that's a race director's fault, because even in their minds, they have a difficult time keeping that separation of powers and, and right. who's responsible for what. Well, us journalists, though, we're always right. And <laughs> and and we just got to make sure that the narrative fits the storyline, right? I'm not going <laughs> to argue with that. A wise man said you never pick a fight with somebody that buys printer ink by the barrel. And, and whatever the electronic version is with Twitter, uh, you're, you're going to win that discussion uh, every time. Well, and now you're, you're you're being judged not only by the journalists, but you're being judged by everybody in the Twitterverse, and and uh, you know, there's everyone has the opportunity now to give real time feedback. That's definitely yeah. wasn't the case 44 years ago, was it? No, and it's one of the really big differences and the, the eye opening, and I, I think we touched upon it briefly when we talked uh, a few days ago. Um, I really started to understand the impact of that uh, when I was a national steward in 2017 at Austin for F1 uh, with the legendary pass with Max Verstappen on the last lap, the uh, pass Raikkonen for third place at, at turn 17. And we saw in the stewards room almost immediately that he'd gone completely off track by a lot in order to make the pass and we ultimately penalized him and and uh, gave third place to Raikkonen. And when that that 
penalty was published, that everybody realized what was happening. Um, and, you know, outside the stewards room, as you say, the Twitterverse was blowing up. But what we saw inside is that our driver steward cell phone lit off like a rattlesnake with texts starting to come in one after another, after another, after another, after another, because a lot of them from one of the driver's fathers involved who had been a teammate of the driver's steward. <laughs> um, and that, that started then and it continued for the rest of the night. And even after we got the photo out that showed how far Max had been off track in the, in the, uh, in the past, which unfortunately would, did not come out as soon as it might have. Uh, everybody in the world had made up their mind and driver steward continued to get death threats for more than a year. Wow. The chairman of the stewards got them for the best part of the year. It got to the point where people somehow found the office number for the chairman of the stewards in Australia and recalling his office and berating the secretaries and staff answering the phone in, in his office with just unbelievable tirades. And, and so, I mean, that whole thing came as a, I, I knew that there was some of it going on, but to see it firsthand, it's really hard to imagine how, vitriolic some of it can be and the uh, and in many cases from people that have no idea what they're talking about right okay well, the, they have an opinion and whether or not it has anything to do with the facts is often just purely accidental so eric you know you're you're not a steward right i'm actually an sit oh well there you go how often do you get to actually act in that role <laughs> so i just became one last year okay um and and not very often at this point. So so you spend more of your time in the kind of race director ish role at, at an SCCA race. I, I'm sure you get yelled at for stuff that the stewards do, and you have no control over that, right? Yeah. Well, and <laughs> and just to clarify, not a race director, but more of a race organizer. Right. Um, and and yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what your title is, or you know, because the the interesting thing is. Ultimately, we're responsible for everyone's experience at, at, well, at least one event being the runoffs, because that is the event that, that our office puts on. But, you know, when we show up to any event, obviously, when you have a, a particular title, um, there is some assumption that you'd play a certain role in everything that goes on. And, and um, you know, when we go to these events uh, as race organizers, we're not officials and and similar to to what Dennis said, um, you know, our role is not to do X, Y, or Z, but ultimately, you know, these are our, you know, we don't like to use the, the customer word, but, but, you know, we have to treat, treat our members like customers um, and like members of the organization. And, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes there are things that are out of your control that, that happen. Sometimes there's information that we certainly don't have and people come to us. Sometimes there is information that we do have, but isn't ours to share. Um, and our role 
as race organizers is, is really to, um, to not try and replay things that our officials have done because ultimately that's their role and that's not our role. Right. Um, but our role is to, is to have conversations when, when topics do come up and, um, bring, bring some things to light. And we do it, we generally do it behind closed doors. I think we, we kind of opened that door with green to checker. That wasn't a specific incident or issue that, that brought that to light, but more of the accumulation of things. Um, but, uh, I, I, I find it, you know, interesting anytime that we, you know, obviously as any racing organization sees things and incidents played out and judged and, um, the, 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 the stewards of the Facebook meeting, you know, that, that end up happening on, um, whether it's a, a group or, or, or anything that's, that's like that and people weighing in. And sometimes there's more information that is shared on Facebook than is shared at the racetrack. Um, you know, we, we talked about that a little bit, you know, even in, in other sports and, you know, mentioned that the Tiger Woods situation Mm -hmm. 10 years ago at where he, where he hit the ball from the wrong spot and somebody, um, you know, somebody saw it and, and, and ended up texting some, one of the officials of the event and, and, you know, he got a penalty after the, after the fact um, it's, I think that's why it's, it's challenging when you have so much content out there and so much media, whether it's participant generated media or the media that we put out there and, and people can see things and maybe they see things that nobody else saw. And, and sometimes it's not the role of, of people sitting in race control at an SCCA event, you know, they don't have TVs. Um, and sometimes when they do, they don't see everything that happens. If they, you go into Coda and there's a bank of what Dennis, 30, 30 televisions and race control. Yeah. If not double that, it's a, it's a big number. <laughs> yeah. And, and unless you have 30 people or whatever that number is uh, assigned to watch just that television, no one's going to see every single thing that happens. Right. So, um, it, it does uh, it does create an interesting situation because sometimes people do bring something to light that that maybe somebody got away with, and that's why we we do have a a timeline. Um, and unfortunately, it catches people out. You know, in SCCA, that's the thirty minutes um, after after the session ends uh, to to file some sort of action. Um, because if you didn't have that, I think you would never have final results, would you, Dennis? <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because up until five or six years ago, the FIA was in exactly the same thing, same sort of timeline. And when you hit that timeline, that was it. And if something came up after that, sorry, there was no there was no process to allow the stewards to fix it. We subsequently put in, and and I I was part of it. I I helped write it, an article in the International Sporting Code called the Right of Review that it, it actually puts a fairly high bar, but if, if somebody comes up with something new and substantive and germane that fundamentally changes the picture of what's going on, uh, then the stewards can conduct a hearing and if they decide that all that's true, they can reopen a hearing. It was, and it was absolutely designed to handle the guy that comes out of the stands with the photo that mm-hmm. shows that black is white or white is black or something is wrong. Um, and we've had a few of these every year. Most of them don't go any farther, but uh, 
because we're trying to keep firm bounds on it because as you say eric this is you know where where would it all end it would just go on forever but we probably have two or three instances a year where something really subsequently comes up and we found something that was uh, not available to everybody at the time and we actually changed a decision because of it but it's uh it's difficult to go down that and where you draw the line and we have technology and assist in order to do that whether you could translate that into a club racing environment pretty pretty doubtful it's hard enough to do it even at the fia environment with all the resources we have available to us so would you would you open a new would you reopen a hearing or would you start a new action you, you basically it's a two-step process you do a hearing to find out if the new evidence meets the standard of the article that it's new and germane and relevant and then if you it meets all of that then you reopen the hearing and you do the hearing just like you did before with everybody involved only with the addition of the new piece of information right uh, and then and then decide if that uh, if that changes the ultimate uh, you know decision or not uh, and i'll tell you what we've seen in f1 we've seen teams over decisions that they really didn't like and they really meant a lot to them spent what i am sure is well into six figures if not into seven figures of time lawyers time computer simulations and everything else trying to come up with a package to to get us to go back and review something that you know that we didn't like uh those all those have generally have not turned out well for the teams involved but in the cases where there really is something new and significant uh you know sometimes that happens so uh for those folks who want to ask some questions you can either do that in the question and answer function of the webinar or in the chat and uh, i will get to those as we go here and then some more at the end hopefully um, we have a whole bunch of differences that we want to chat about, but one that just dawned on me um, in this conversation is, and, and we kind of talked to Eric brought it up, you know, you're the people who you are adjudicating in an FIA event are competitors versus, and I know Eric says we don't like to use the term in an SCCA event, they're customers and club members. Um, but the role of the steward is still to follow the rules, correct? And and to 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 rule on the rules. And to, is there any difference in the the mindset that you have when you're doing it from one to the other? Considering that they're different type of, there's different buy-in, obviously, between what the buy-in is to get into F1 or F2, even F3, versus what the buy-in is to do an SCCA event, right? Yeah, no, I think at the end of the day, the general mindset is the same. Okay. Um, I think where the difference is, and you see it even within uh, the FIA realm, um, is you have different levels of experience and talents at the various levels that you're in. And you'll... Uh, you tend to give a little more leniency for mistakes to the younger, less experienced drivers. Um, and I've seen there's certainly instances in, in my opinion, this is, this is one man's opinion. This is not the FIA speaking where 
um, an incident that a Formula One driver would be penalized for, minor incident, but nevertheless a, a penalty worthy. At the F2 or F3 level, you might let it go because it really, you're, you're trying to measure their skill level and you give them a little bit of slack because you know everybody in the world is not Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton, and and but I think many that's, people do you know, think they are same level <laughs> that the goes even down further as you do, as you go down to the club racing level. Right, right. Um, quick question from Ben Tyler: Are there any F1 stewards, any other F1 stewards that go back and continue stewarding at their local club racing le- level, wherever that may be? Uh, I think that's that internationally. I think that's very common. Um, it, it is, uh, I, I think, especially in the European communities, a lot of my contemporaries um, started out as karting stewards and have continued on up through F4 and touring cars and so forth. And they go back into those to give back as part of their national sporting authority. Uh, you know, so what I'm able to do with SECA is, is uh, you know, by no means unique. Sure, sure. So some of the differences between how we do things and how the FAA do, does things. Um, I mean, it comes right, it, it goes right down the line from the way the regulations are put out and the way the stewards are assigned. What, what, what do you think are the key things, though, that we should, we should touch on? Um, I mean, one of the things I I find interesting here in and from our chat earlier is that the GCR that we use doesn't doesn't talk about the international sporting code. And if you look at the IMSA regulations, if you look at lots of other organizations that fall under FIA and ACUS, almost everybody does. Correct. We're, we are absolutely unique in that regard. And uh, I mean, the U.S. is unique in and of itself because essentially every other country in the world, the, the, their sporting regulations at the national level flow downhill directly to the International Sporting Code. And they right. may be tailored a little bit at the end, but at the end of the day, you're dealing with the sporting code. Here, we've been off in our own little kingdom for a long time, and our rules have evolved differently and so there are, uh, across all the series, some fairly measurable differences. Over the years, some of those are now starting to come around. But uh, I, I guess the, the one that jumps out most uh, for SCCA racers are the flag rules. And in particular, the fact that the FIA has no equivalent of the SCCA red flag. Okay, there is nothing that gets a... a uh, old cars stopped on the track. They just deal with it somehow. And I, I had more than one conversation with Charlie Whiting uh, trying to figure out a way that we could get an equivalent because there isn't too often that you need it, but sometimes you really do. Um, and the other thing is that the yellow flag zone starts uh, at a yellow flag and the FIA, that zone goes until you see a green flag at a station as opposed to going to wherever the incident is in right. the, in the SCCA race. So those are, those are two big differences there. Um, and the, as you say, the regulations are different. I would point out to all involved that the FIA, however, is very, very good about publishing stuff. And it doesn't have the best organized website in the world. Where, where have we heard that before? But uh 
basically all of the regulations for all of the FIA series are available there. All of the decisions for all of the major series, Formula One, two, three, whatever, are published on the website for the last few years. Uh, all of the International Court of Appeals decisions are published. So if you go into that FIA website, if you have an interest, you'll be amazed at what you can find. And if you actually read it, you'll be you'll be a long way ahead of the some of your your fellow Formula One and, and Formula Two fans. The other big difference I would point out that it was the biggest surprise to me when I went to do my first stewarding role was the issue that when you do a hearing, everybody is in the room and everybody participates and you don't do it serially like you know, we tend to do at SCCA. You'll see some uh, group get togethers, but it's relatively uncommon and I walked into that, looked at it, and said, how the devil is this going to work? I could see where this is a mess, and it really is not. It works out very, very well, probably because the stewards have ultimately far more power in the FIA than they do in the SCCA with the GCR when it comes to penalties. Mm. Um, and the fact that they, of their own volition, can find somebody 250,000 euros for a breach of the regulations, um, people tend to be pretty well behaved in the stewards room. Now, it gets out of control once in a while or gets uh, a little more rowdy than it needs to be. And they've certainly asked people to step outside, collect their thoughts and come back in when they're ready to be civil about it before they generate another penalty for themselves. But that the ability to hear what the other guy is accusing you of and, and throwing the bullshit flag and say, no, that's not the way it is, is actually very useful and, and is a great adjunct, uh, even with all the video that, the, that we have. Uh, and, and we have, certainly at F1, we've got more resources than we know what to do with, but even at F2 and F3, we've got an awful lot of stuff, but uh, there, there are some things where you just can't beat the, that interchange between the drivers. Uh, and you'll see drivers successfully tell their story and convince us that there wasn't a penalty. And I've seen other drivers walk in where, you know, we, we thought that uh, they were probably home free and it was, there was going to be no <laughs> penalty or it was going to be other, uh, the other guy responsible for it. And they start talking and they talk themselves right into a penalty. <laughs> it's one of those things where they, that's why they tell you you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> no, no it, it, exactly. I'm thinking I won't name, name names, tracks or anything else. But I vividly remember a hearing in, in which uh, a guy came in and we had, we had a potential breach of the regulations with regard to movement on track. And I thought it was borderline, and I thought, nah, he's, um, you know, if he comes in with a good, solid defense based on the regulations, it's going to be hard to penalize him. And so he came in, and he gave kind of a mealy mouth excuse for what he was doing, and I turned around to the team manager and said, well, what do you got to say about this? And team manager said, basically, Oh, yeah, he he was not only doing it in the incident you're talking about here, he was doing it on the front straight, too, and he'd been doing it all through the race, and we told him to stop, and he wouldn't stop. 
and so the guy was penalized and and it, it he he was a race winner it cost him the race so so dennis that brings up an interesting question so it didn't sound like his excuse game was very good there but is the excuse game at the highest levels a lot better than the excuses you hear in club racing it is generally speaking it is more articulately crafted but what i call the chinese menu of driver excuses for why they're not at fault and i i haven't made a formal list but i'm guessing i've heard probably some version of 20 different excuses and I've heard that same excuses out of the novice driver fresh out of driver school, and I've heard of the same thing out of Formula One world champions, and it's still off of the same list of excuses. There, there, there's no great extra barrel out there. It's just that the guys with more experience at the top can uh, can craft that excuse more articulately than the fresh guy out of driver school. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Dennis, a big difference between the FIA and the SCCA is tech. There's a lot more at your disposal at FIA races than there are at SCCA races. And Mike Haley asked the question, um, how much of an improvement do you think would the SCCA would get um, for using some of the onboard flagging systems that are out there today? I know there are some club-level um uses of those systems and other series in North America. They're at a price point now that it's not terribly out of the, the realm of possibility that it could trickle down now to club racing. Do you think those types of things are helpful? Let, let's not even talk about the, the worker lack of workers that we might have that, that, that always comes up as the reason for those. I don't think personally I've seen them used that uh, using them as a replacement for flaggers is not the intention but there is some really valid real-time info that e- e drivers can get even at the rudimentary level that we could afford maybe at the club level. And I'm just curious what your thought level, thought process no, would be I on am, that. I am absolutely a big fan of those. I mean, you see the stuff that goes on with the F1. You probably watch that. But there's a F2 and F3 have a system as well, but it's less sophisticated even there than F1 is. And it's scaled down. Uh, but I think it is, uh, it's a tremendous benefit for two ways. Number one, it does assist the stewards because in general, we don't listen anymore to the stories about, I didn't see the flag. Okay. It's just, you know, the answer to that is I don't care. It was there. If you didn't see it because it's in your cockpit as well as on the panels around you and so forth, then, then, then that's your problem. But more importantly, I think from a safety standpoint, it takes away the issue of not seeing flags and, and the, so that you can see them in a timely fashion and be able to, uh, to articulate it. Because so many of the, of the modern tracks 
Um, uh, Indy, the road course at Indy comes immediately to my mind. If they don't have marshalling panels there, and if you're working just as off of flag stations, why, why we did at the runoffs, because of runoff areas, those flag stations are so far back off the track and not necessarily in the ideal sight lines uh, that I have a lot of sympathy for drivers that have problems seeing those. There, there's some of them that admittedly are, are hard to see. Uh, and so the in-car stuff, as you say, it's getting more affordable and more affordable. Um, and I, I think at the end of the day, it makes a lot of sense. And I suspect at the end of the day, both from competitor standpoints, as well as organizers and sanctioning body standpoints, I think ultimately there are ways that it'll, it'll pay for itself when, when you see the benefits of it. So I'm, I'm a big fan. Knowing the, um, that there probably is not a human being walking this planet who has a better understanding of both the FAA rule book and the GCR than you, um, is there anything that SCCA GCR should get into the FIA rule book? And is there anything in the FIA rule book that we don't have that we should be thinking about looking at? Eric's like, why well, is he asking this I, question? The big thing from GCR to the SCC to the FIA is I still would like a red flag equivalent, whether it's a waving red or however they do that. But there are, you know, maybe it's only once or twice a year, but there are certainly times when you'd be able, like to be able to no kidding block the, the one that comes to mind is if you can envision uh, the F1 course at Baku, where it comes out of the open streets area in the newer part of the city and goes through that, that chink into the old city going up the hill. Um, and we had an incident there five or six years ago where a guy clipped a barrier, got sideways, and absolutely corked the bottle. There was absolutely no way around it. Now, they got everybody slowed up in time, but it's incidents like that. Uh, you only have to do one of those around a blind corner, and, and you'd really like to have that. Uh, the, other, the other direction, um, I am a fan of the, of the FIA yellow flag rule and, and green flag, uh, which, which helps you cover multiple incidents, which is the biggest problem of the way the GCR flags it. But I understand that in mixed race groups and, and, and certain tracks and so forth, and the fact that we're not staffed as well, that's a separate, uh, that's a separate discussion. But if we ended up with in-car flagging systems that could account for that, uh, I would much prefer to see that uh, you know, that flag rule come down and, and into the GCR al along with that, because I think it gives you more positive control on, on course. From a penalty standpoint, um, I know that there's a point system in the FIA, and I understand there's a point system even in the SCCA, although it, I, I believe that's the case, right, as far as driver infractions. Although I feel like that's kind of um, um, like – voodoo science in the SCCA? Because I don't know that a lot of people understand it, even know that it's there. Um, and it's hard to track those points from if I do a Cal Club race this weekend and I go to Coda next weekend and then the following week I'm at Road America and I am a complete creep at all the first two races, how do they know when I get to Road America that that's happened? I know with the internet that gets around pretty fast these days. 
Um, but um, is is that point system the way it works in the FAA something that uh, we can utilize a little bit more here, or is there other penalty systems? Uh, you know, I was yeah, because I was thinking I I watched uh, Eric's Green to Checker uh, presentation, and I was thinking about it during that because that that penalty point system is the way the FIA manages trying to identify repeat offenders and, you know, calm them down. Um, but you're that, that is working within a single series right. with a single set of drivers with essentially a single set of officials and a single set of administrators that track it race to race to race. And it works very well. I, I have no complaints about it at all. Uh, but I was thinking as Eric was talking, uh, you know, how, how you apply that this day and age. Um, I really don't know that it, it certainly in its exact form, I don't think it would work. The one thing I might suggest is that the penalty point system, and, and we have a table that we use that gives us guidelines. They're not mandatory, but they're guidelines for this offense that says this is generally the range of penalties you do, and this is generally what you do with, with penalty points. Um, and But it allows the steward to vary the number of penalty points depending upon the severity of the incident. And I'd make the point, and it's important to understand that when I say severity of the incident, I mean the severity of the mistake that was made and not the consequences of what happened. Okay, so if, and so if you have a collision and a guy collects another guy and it's just one of those brain dead moves, you know, why on earth did he do that? And the other guy did absolutely nothing wrong. Um, then whereas in a normal incident, you might give them one or two penalty points if it was a minor error. In this case, you might give three. Right. And in that scenario, in SECA, I guess what I would suggest is if you start to see somebody that, you know, one of those, okay, everybody gets a brain fart from time to time. But if you start to see multiple instances from a driver of multiple penalty points assigned because the stewards involved feel that it's a that severe of an accident then you know then perhaps you trigger a probation a suspension a hearing a driver review something uh, uh as a key eric has dennis ever called you to the stewards room <laughs> you don't even know you, you don't even know what you just brought up I, 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 <laughs> i'm just curious because you know you got a lot of laps in this club you got a couple of national championships uh, <laughs> eric and i are equated in a number of ways and have been for a very long time <laughs> well stated is that let's where just, this is going to end let's just let's just leave it at that I, I did want to I did want to touch on the the penalty points um, sure. because I think Brian you know your your statement about there's some black magic thing and we're not nobody's really sure how it works I I think that that's a fair statement um, about the general perception of it I 
frankly, I'm not sure why. I think it probably just goes back to people reading the rules and 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 seeing that section of the, of the rule book. But unlike Formula One, there isn't a running tally that's publicly known for for every driver. Um, and it's interesting because I think I I saw, of course, it was some meme, and never believe everything you see on the <laughs> internet. And but I, I'll just say, you know, if there's 20 F1 drivers, there were only three or four of them at the end of the year that didn't have any penalty points assessed to them throughout the year. And, and some of them were a point away from, from a race ban. Right. And we do have a similar, um, a similar system and where you, you, you get a certain number of points that we'll just call mulligans and, and, uh, you know, it just incrementally creeps you closer to something where there's actually an action or something that's going to happen to you. Um, I think 12 points is a suspension. Um, And, you know, so, so the, the new thing that, that got a lot of people wound up uh, last year toward the end of last year is that a chief stewards action uh, now carries a a single point. Um, Now an SOM you, you go in front of the SOM and have a hearing and they may, they may give you lots of points, but a chief stewards action. So this would be something like a pretty obvious pass under yellow or, or, or something along those lines now carries a point. And one of the reasons for that was we, we weren't sure uh, there was no way to really track if there were repeat offenders for doing things like this um, small infractions that don't necessarily get you in front of a court but they are infractions nonetheless. And um, for the most part, as Dennis said, you know, everybody can make a mistake here or there. And if somebody makes a mistake and they get a point on their license, or maybe they make a couple mistakes over the course of a year or two, and they get a couple points on their license, it really doesn't affect them. It doesn't, they're not on probation. Um, they're not suspended, but it now keeps a log of things like that. Mm. And um, it's not a public log, but it is a log that, that stewards can see, um, and, and, uh, and, and can lead to, to something more than that. So, um, people can check their own records. Um, if you, if you log into the the member access portal, so that's my.scca.com, you can log in there. You can see, like, I can go in there and see if I have any, uh, discipline, my history of discipline, if I have any current points on my license. So, uh, if anybody has any questions about that, they can always check that. And it's a, and it's a good thing to actually do after an event, if you've been penalized, um, just to verify that it's what's in there is correct. Because, you know, sometimes mistakes can happen, but it's always good to to check your own personal record. Is, is there, because I don't know, so I'll ask. Is there a way that the stewards of my event can look up the drivers that are att- that are attending that event in, a, in an easy fashion to say these are the guys or gals that we need to keep an eye on? Yeah, I mean, there's not a, a list specifically of um, these are the people to keep an eye on, but they can look up individual driver records and see how many points they right. have. So they'd have to look it up, like see a driver, and actually go to the through the process of looking up a particular driver. Got it? Okay, cool. See, I've learned something, and I've been doing this a long time, <laughs> which uh, which which just shows how little I know. So um, we've got a whole ton of questions, and um, I want to get to some of them. Are there any other topics, gentlemen, that we wanted to touch on before I start launching into questions? 
I think we've kind of tiptoed through a bunch of these already. Yeah, I, I, I think from my notes, I, I guess the one thing that may not be necessarily apparent, uh, and it's actually similar to what SCCA does, but for, for international uh, stewards and, and how they're appointed and, and who you have, is that for the international series that everybody is familiar with, whether it's F1, 2, 3, WEC, GT, or whatever, the FIA appoints a chairman who's totally responsible and what everybody calls the second FIA steward. Uh, and then the host country, the host sporting authority appoints the third steward. You have that for any FIA event. Additionally, you have for Formula One, you have driver stewards who are all former Formula One drivers. And for F2 and F3 and some of the other international series, we have driver advisors who are drivers and who are who are there to advise us, but don't have a formal role as, uh, as a steward. So sometimes you'll have four people in the room or three, plus you always have a permanent secretary, usually a video operator. So there's, you know, it's a half a dozen people in the room. Sure. So it's a little more complicated, but it's not dissimilar uh, to SCCA, although there typically is more regional involvement in SCCA steward appointments than than SCCA national and for the majority of things. Um, bunches of questions about uh, what is the international language of the FIA? Is are the stewards talking to everyone in English? Is it the host country's language? Is that how it works? The, the FIA is officially bilingual, French and English. The International Sporting, Sporting Code is published bilingually. And in the International Sporting Code and all the appendices, French is actually the governing language if there is a disagreement. Uh, F1 is the reverse. F1 English is... But at the international series level, um, motorsports is just like the airline industry. Everything's done in English. Right. Because isn't the FIA part of like the International Olympic Committee from a competition standpoint? It is. And that's the languages of the IOC is French and English. Correct. Cool. Correct. Cool. Yeah. And, there, and, and actually, the FIA does, beyond French and English, they publish a lot of stuff in uh spanish sure. german arabic a variety of them but french and english predominantly but for uh, international trust me if we were doing these things in french uh, i wouldn't be there <laughs> <laughs> um chuck stanley asked the red flag scenario that you're talking about wanting the fa to have some sort of a red flag like we have um is the resistance because stopping cars on the track has overheating problems, restart problems. Is that kind of part of what the, the pushback is from doing something like that? I don't think it's anywhere near as sophisticated that. I think it's more uh, we've never done it that way, and we've always managed just fine, and we just don't see the need. I, I, I really did have this conversation with Charlie Whiting more than once, and I, I never found the opposite you know, you know, this is a specific reason why one of one of the few times in that, that Charlie didn't have an answer. Interesting. <laughs> Love it. Um, here's a good one. Is there an F1 driver 
that you've met along the way who you thought of as, I, I think they're, they're trying to say as a hero, as a human as well? It's just like being a good, a, a good guy or a good gal? I got to tell you, I think the vast majority of them are. Uh, there are some really, really good human beings in that paddock, both in team manager roles, team roles, and in the driver's roles. There are a few who shall remain nameless who probably don't fall in that role. But I'll oh, tell you. It's just us, I, Dennis. Yeah. There's right. no one listening, no one watching. Now, in, in my experience, it is it it really they really are the outliers, not the other way around. And frankly, the young kids coming into F one these days are are just they're making it all that much better. I mean, the the young guys coming in from Leclerc to Norris to Russell to Albin, uh, Sonoda to Joe, uh, these are really good young kids and. I mean, that's one of the joys of working in Formula 2 and Formula 3 for me is you get to spend more time with them than you would at the F1 level because they make more mistakes and they end up in the steward's room and, and uh, the paddock is more relaxed and, and you, can, you can talk to them a bit more. Yeah, there's a lot that takes to get to F1, and sometimes it's not just talent. So how many drivers on the F2 and F3 grid do you think if they got their shot at F1 would be better than some of the drivers in F1 right now? None. Really? No, at the end of the day, there's uh, the cream will rise to the top. And, and I'll tell you what, the, the, the top of the, the, the F1 field um, is so talented and there's such great depth in it. And, and I, I, two that come to mind, that I got to see a lot in, in, in F2 especially, and in one case actually got to know him fairly well. Um, Nicholas Latifi uh, with Williams, who, you know, he, he had a horrible reputation in F1 and people were all down with him. Let me tell you, as an F2 driver, he was, uh, on any given day, he was as quick as anybody around him. And he's a nice young man, quick, very, very talented. And I'm not sure why it didn't work out at, at F1. Uh, the other one, uh, which will probably really be a, even more of a surprise, Nikita Mazepin. Uh, now, here's a guy who is absolutely, and he would be the first one to admit it. He's capable of having brain fade and doing just the mindless stupid thing on track but let me tell you on his day he is as quick as they come he uh, i've seen seen him put in some brilliant rides in f2 so no i don't think uh, there you know if i had a magic wand and say you know pluck somebody out of the f2 field and you know who doesn't have any money or whatever and drop him in and and he's going to be a a, a world champion or even competitive on his team no, the teams do a really good job of picking those guys out, and, and I, I think they've got the best and the brightest. How excited should American race fans be about Logan Sargent? Um, really, really talented. Really, it, it remains to be seen to me how he's going to make the transition because, I mean, that's one of the issues that we've seen over the years 
there are some guys uh, that go from uh, a slower car to a faster car and get faster and other guys get slower because they just can't deal with the dynamics. It'll, it's a question in my mind for Sergeant. Uh, I, I like him a lot. He's a good kid, very clean. We seldom saw him in the stewards room, very consistent, very quick. But I'm, I, I don't know. Um, Oscar Piastri is from Australia is I think probably a better bet, but the same questions exist for him. How will he make that transition? And uh, we're going to find out in Bahrain. Which F1 driver would you most want to see in a show, in a showroom stock Miata, not a spec Miata. This is very specific in a showroom stock Miata at summit point. <laughs> uh, talk about taking a driver in a fast car and putting him in a slower one yeah yeah the adaptation he, although he's now out of the out of the series for the year but but the guy that comes immediately in my mind is danny ricardo yeah that'd be fun that'd be fun let's see i think there might be a couple of more here um See, there was a comment here that I wanted to, to someone was asked, someone who's a steward was once asked, what's a steward do? And let me, I want to know if you agree. We're handed gray and using the rules, we return answers in black and white. I wouldn't argue with that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's pretty much most of the questions. If anyone wants to throw a last one in here before we head out. Uh, any uh, any thoughts on uh, final thoughts, Eric? Before we head head out here, yeah, there, just um, there's there's been a number of comments in the in the chat and the Q and A just about um, what and, and I guess it just goes to show that um, there is some uh, some debate as to as to how our penalty points work, even <laughs> even among uh, stewards. <laughs> And and uh, national staff. So I was mistaken. I said twelve points. It's fifteen points that carries an automatic suspension. Okay. Um, and twelve, 12 uh, points is the FIA number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so I, I would definitely encourage everybody that's involved in anything like that to uh, to check that section of the GCR out, um, and everybody who's watching to check that section of the GCR out. And yeah, the, the other, the other, one last thought that I, I was trying to look over my notes and see if there's something else that I that is useful for watching F1 because people tear their hair out over it. I mentioned earlier that one of the things we don't do is we don't think about the consequences of an accident or the consequences of an incident when we assign a penalty. We're measuring how big an error is, and the penalty goes with how big the error and not how big the results is. The same goes true is we don't take into account the consequences of the penalty when we assign it. So we're in SCCA, for example, we'll all the time do a, a position penalty sufficient to put car 27 behind car 23 that knocked him off track for example. Uh, you'd never do that in, F in, in the FIA. You're doing either grid drops or time penalties or something like that. So you're not thinking about those consequences. And that just comes from the, 
from the guidelines that uh, that we operate across the realm of international stewarding. Right, right. So th- this was one thing, you, you know, it sounds like a, a fantastic life to be an FIA steward. You get to travel around the world. You get to go to the best racetracks in the world. You get to talk with the best drivers in the world. Um, if I'm an SCCA steward, how do I get that gig? Uh, you keep doing the best you can. Uh, you talk to your chairman of the sewers, you express the interest. Uh, the FIA does have training programs, uh, that, uh, and they're actually in the middle of revamping them. Uh, in the past, they've done an annual get together in Geneva or virtually in February that is changing this year. And it'll actually be to the benefit of, uh, of the Americas. I think they're going to do regional programs around the world. So I would expect to see one someplace in North America, maybe virtually, maybe in person. I don't know. But uh, in this day and age, if you want to get noticed, that's the way to do it is to participate there and basically show that you understand what the basics of being a steward uh, is all about, but also that you understand the FIA regulations, which is why if you're interested, get to the FIA right. website, download the regulations and, and get into them because they are different. They are worded differently. And that's the rule book you're going to have to deal with. All right. So you, you gave us a list of, of experiences, both good and bad. Let's end on a story. Before we before we go away, um, you want me to pick one, or do you want to go through and pick one? Ah, uh, you can pick one. Talk about uh, the lost passport at Sochi. <laughs> yeah, um, I was supposed to be chairman of the stewards at uh, Formula Two in Sochi in twenty twenty one, and it's a non trivial exercise to get there. And one of the things you got to do is you got to have a Russian visa, and that's. Those are stories every time you get one in and of themselves. And it turned out to be that the, the best, the easiest and quickest way to get it, uh, because I couldn't turn loose of my passport because I only have one, I don't have two, as some people do, was to FedEx it to Geneva and, and the FIA offices in Geneva go over to the Russian consulate, get the visa done, and then they FedEx it back to you. And I've used it before and it worked just fine. And so I sent it off and I'm tracking it along and it gets there and the FI all set. Yeah, I've got your visa. Here's the tracking number coming back. And FedEx lost the passport. Oops. Uh, And there was great debate about what happened to it, where it was. And I was raising hell with FedEx in the States. The FIA has a lot of connections. And suffice to say, before I was done, I had the personal cell phone of the executive assistants to the CEO of FedEx (laughs) in Memphis, who was personally running basically a tiger team trying to find a goddamn passport because they thought it was somewhere in the Memphis sorting warehouse lost. Bottom line, they uh, I needed I was supposed to originally travel on Monday. I kept pushing it off day by day and finally said, this is not going to work. Even if I have the passport now, I can't get there. 
So the FIA uh, shipped me a box by DHL (laughs) (laughs) with connectivity. And so I basically set up a remote steward in a box in my office here at home and ran the F2 chairman from here, um, which was really, uh, it was challenging because we didn't have enough bandwidth coming out of the track. And so I didn't have real time video of the quality that I needed. But we had a good panel there and we sorted through that. And finally on, I think Saturday of that race weekend, FedEx found the passport and I had it. I had it personally hand delivered to me at at my house by the senior FedEx person in the Washington D.C. metro area when they finally turned it up because they were not going to turn it over to one of their drivers because they had been <laughs> bloodied and by by everybody in the planet on it. So doesn't FedEx do all of the flyaway transport for F1? No, it DHL one, now? One, one time they did. It's it was I. It's DHL now. I think there's some talk that that may be changing, but right now it's DHL. Well, they should have just gone with DHL then. (laughs) (laughs) Dennis, thank you. Well, thank you. It's been a been a real pleasure, and uh, you know, I I hope everybody got a little bit of out of it. It it was great fun for me, Uh, Eric. Always good to connect with you and and see what you guys are doing and. Uh, going forward, as always, if, if there's something I can do to help, uh, let me know. That's why we're here. Yeah, thank you, Dennis. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed the stories and uh, look forward to catching up again soon. You bet. We'll, we'll see you at the runoffs, if not before. All right. That's going to do it for the International Man of Stewarding with Dennis Dean. Of course, this will be on the SCCA website eventually. We uh, really appreciate all of you for being here. And again, thank you all for that. And we're going to sign off for now, and we'll see you next time. I'm Dorsey Schrader, and when I'm on my way to a race, I'll listen to the SCCA podcast, Inside the Short Bus. Inside the SCCA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SCCA.